What an appropriate hymn for this coming Sunday. Almighty God, your word is cast. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Rumination Tuesday on July the 7th in the year of our Lord 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. Unfortunately, today, Pastor Mark Smith is on assignment, so I'm by myself. And we had you listen to the entire hymn. It's a short hymn uh, written by John Kaywood, who died in 1832. Almighty God, your word is cast. And why is that appropriate for this coming Sunday? The Holy Gospel is from Matthew chapter 13. Great crowds gathered about Jesus, so they got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. In fact, in Mark chapter 3, I asked this question to somebody I was talking to on the phone last night. Why was there a boat there? Actually, Jesus requested that the disciples always have a boat in place because he was being squeezed by the people. That's what Mark 3 says. So many were coming, uh, even from places outside of Galilee, that they would crush against him. Remember that woman who had the issue of blood? She had to touch his garment. And she did. Jesus said, who touched my garment? And the disciples said, with all these people around you, how could we tell? And so a boat, Jesus requested. It was kind of like a pulpit. He could be in the boat and preach toward the uh, beach where the people all were. And what was he preaching in Matthew 13? Remember, he told them in parables about the sower who went out to sow. Some seeds fell along the path. The birds devoured them. Others on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And others among thorns that grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And then he says... He who has ears, let him hear. Now, what did Jesus mean by that? He who has ears. You see, the parables were not understood by unbelievers. In in fact, Jesus even quoted the Old Testament about parables, that he would speak in parables so they would not understand. Because if the Pharisees recognize that Jesus was referring to them as weeds or as thorns or as birds that took away the seed of God, they would want to have killed him earlier. So Jesus, he did not explain it except for those who had ears to hear. And later on, the disciples asked him, what did you mean by this parable? And he then explained it to the disciples. That's the reading for this coming Sunday. And that's why Almighty God, your word is cast, is such an appropriate hymn. First stanza. Almighty God, your word is cast. 
like seed into the ground. Now let the dew of heaven descend and righteous fruits abound. Now, that's really how the seed leads to righteous fruits. The dew of heaven is none other than the water of heaven. Jesus is doing an extended metaphor here. That's what all parables are. They're metaphors. And in this case, he's using a farmer. When he goes out to sow seed, they didn't have tractors like we have today. I I was really amazed when I was at Trinity Orchard Farm helping them out there. I got to know some of the farmers pretty good. And they had these tractors that had computers on them. And they knew precisely where to put the seed. And the reason why that was so important, that at the time of harvest, those computers would be able to harvest the grain much better. And there was a far greater sense of not losing the harvest. Well, in Jesus' day, they kind of threw the seed on the ground. And sometimes the wind would pick the seed up and it would put it over the walks where people were walking the paths or the rocky ground or among thorns. And Jesus is saying that these elements really represent people who do not have faith and do not recognize the seed of God, which is what? The Word of God. Now, when it talks about the dew comes down and waters the seed, that metaphor would mean that Jesus, as he himself says, he is the one who gives living water. Remember that woman, that Samaritan at the well? Well, I have water that if you drink, you will never die. Oh, give me some of that, she said, not really understanding. And then when Jesus told her about the men she was living with and how many husbands she had, she went back to the village and said, you know, I think I found the Messiah. And they began to believe in her words. Then they went out to see Jesus and heard him speak. And that made them even more sure that he was the promised Messiah that even they had been looking for. So casting the word as seed simply refers to speaking it to individuals. Verse 2, Let not the sly satanic foe this holy seed remove, but give it root a have on every heart to bring forth fruits of love. You see, in the parable, the satanic seed, of course, would be the birds that come and eat the seed, or where there was not much depth of soil, the sun scorched them, and they withered away, or they fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. 
what's that referring to? We're living at a time in the United States where many people are being choked by the thorns of Satan. Look at how many disagree with the will of God in sexual areas. How many disagree with the will of God because they're willing to murder their children in the womb. And we could go on and on in talking about the immorality that people are just accepting. And that is part of the problem of preachers today. Preachers, I mean, there are actually churches for homosexuals where the so-called preachers there are saying that they are the same as a regular person, that that kind of lifestyle is not contrary to the Word of God, even though there are numerous passages in the Bible that God does not consent to such behavior. Now, how can these people do this? Because they are following the lies of Satan. We're all born with original sin, which simply is we rebel against anybody telling us what to do. So when we hear the commandments, oh, that's old-fashioned. And look at how many young people lived together prior to marriage. They say that's old-fashioned, that we have to wait to get married. No, it's not. It's the clear word of God that a husband leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife until death do them part. It's not at all unusual to discover from polls that divorces are rampant among those who are not Christian, who don't attend church, less rampant, particularly among people who attend church on a regular basis. So that's the word of God. And that's the word that we need to keep on preaching. Stanza three. Let not the world's deceitful cares the rising plant destroy, but let it yield a hundredfold the fruits of peace and joy. Now that last part of stanza three is really important because what is a fruit? A fruit is the result of having a good plant. Like if you have an apple orchard, until the apples grow, there's no fruit. I used to drive uh, two of my best cousins and their father uh, to farms where we would pick peaches. And we would kind of climb up into the tree, pick peaches, and we were paid on the basis of how many bushels we were able to pick. Uh, that was an interesting situation because the farmer's son, he and I got into a kind of a squabble, and he threw a peach at me. It missed me. I threw a peach at him and hit him in the head. The farmer found out about that, and he fired me. He said, I don't want you coming back to my farm. But then the people I was bringing, I was the only one with a car. They talked to the farmer. 
And the farmer relented and said, well, in light of the fact that you're bringing these people, you can return. But don't be throwing peaches anymore. So I returned, didn't throw any more peaches. His son didn't throw any at me. And it was a tremendous crop that that particular farmer had in his peach grove. So that's how the fruits occur. The peaches grow, the apples grow, the corn grows, etc. But notice what the line says, that when we put the seed of God out, the fruits that we receive from other people then are an acknowledgement of peace and joy. What does that mean? Well, we're moving into the heavenly realm. What did the shepherds say or hear from the angels? Peace be to you. What were the first words of Jesus on the night of the resurrection when he entered into the locked room where the disciples are? Peace be to you. What is that peace? It's not the peace that we have on earth. Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace on earth, namely temporal peace, but peace in the religious realm of the Holy Christian Church. That peace means that God the Father is now at peace with you. Because Jesus Christ took upon himself your sins. And your sins were what was keeping a divided wall between you and the Father. But when Jesus died and paid for those sins, remember the words from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Because of their unbelief, they didn't realize that they were always going against the will of God. It's just part of human nature. And so the Holy Spirit comes, that was Pentecost, and what happened? You received a new nature, so to speak. It's called the new man, in contrast to the old Adam. The old Adam, Paul says, boy, I'm always sinning. I want to stop from sinning, but I'm unable to do that. I, I know what I want to do, that's what is new man, but I don't have the ability to do it. Who will deliver me from this death? And of course, Jesus Christ is the one who by giving us the Holy Spirit, we are now enabled to do fruit of the Holy Spirit. I, I see a real problem, though, in a lot of preaching that I'm hearing these days uh, because of my driving around to four different churches now, preaching on Thursday nights and on Sundays, I sometimes like to listen to the radio. And I always try and find a religious station and want to hear what the preacher is saying. And the reason for that is because many people in rural areas uh, don't have Lutheran radio, KFUO. And they can't hear it on their computers at kfuo.org, but they can hear it a lot of times on their regular radio. So they're listening to these other preachers. And I can use what these other preachers are saying to help correct 
the false notions that the people are hearing in order that they might bear fruit. If you think that you get the peace from God because you finally stop from sinning, you will not have much joy because that joy will be taken away each time you recognize that you are sinning. So it's important that proper pastors listen to what other proper what other pastors are saying who are improper. Now I did say in a sermon last Sunday that if you take a look at the other religions that are Christian, Methodist, Baptist, Roman Catholic, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, and so forth, I have come to the conclusion that they agree with 80% of what Lutherans teach. And therefore, they do believe in what is necessary to be saved. And what is that? That is that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. A lot of people don't think that Roman Catholics believe that. But that is the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church, that our sins were forgiven at the cross. They weren't forgiven by our doing good works. But they did invent something that's not in the Bible. It's called purgatory. And purgatory is a place where you don't offset your temporal sins with good works. And so when the latest pope died, they still weren't sure that he was a saint. Was he still in purgatory, helping to pay off his temporal consequences? No. He was already saved because he was baptized, and he did believe in Jesus Christ as his Savior. Now, whether he believed in some of the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church, like the Council of Trent said, that those who believe that you are saved by grace through faith are anathema, well, then there might be a question as to whether or not he would be saved, because those are the marks of the Antichrist. We need to be really careful that we don't accuse every Roman Catholic of being the Antichrist. No, many of them are even unaware of the teachings of the Council of Trent. And I, I can give you a way to test that with your Roman Catholic friend. You simply go to them and ask them, okay, I'm a Lutheran, and I believe that I am saved by God's grace through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, not by any works that I have done. Will you therefore tell me that I am going to hell? And I have never had a Roman Catholic tell me Oh, yeah, you're going to hell on the basis of the Council of Trent. There's a lot of ignorance among Roman Catholics in regard to the proper teaching of their church, as is also true among Episcopalians, Presbyterians, Baptists, and so forth. So we're not saying they're going to hell because of some of the things they say. But what I find most interesting and you can test this out by listening to other preachers, is they're always talking about how we need to change our lives. 
but they're always talking about in generalities. Well, what I mean by that, and I was helped to understand that by one of our listeners, is they speak about, well, you need to speak the Word of God when it is necessary to do it. You need to do a good work when it is necessary to do it. But they don't tell you how to do it. Uh, For example, let's say your friend comes to you and says, my daughter is pregnant out of wedlock, and she wants to know if it's okay to have an abortion. What should I tell her? That's the kind of information we need to hear from pastors during sermons where they can make what we believe relevant in order that people can understand that a lot of what they believe in is contrary to the will of God and help them see the biblical point of view. So stanza four of Almighty God, your word is cast. So when the precious seed is sown, life-giving grace bestow that all whose souls the truth receive its saving power may know. That's almost a quote from Matthew 13, where Jesus says, He indeed bears fruit and yields, and says in verse 9, He who has ears, let him hear. What ears is Jesus talking about? He's talking about the ears of faith. It's really interesting to go over the parables because there's always two ways to understand a parable, the wrong way and the right way. For example, in Luke 15, we have the parable of the lost sheep. The wrong way to understand it is that Jesus is saying to you that you need to go out, find the lost sheep, pick it up, Put it on your shoulders and carry it home. No. That would be an incorrect understanding of the parable of the lost sheep. Because the parable of the lost sheep is all about Jesus as the shepherd who finds you and saves you by bringing you home. If you want to know, (coughs) excuse me. If you want to know how we bring people to faith, Jesus says it in Matthew 28. Go and baptize all nations, teaching them to observe all that I have taught you. That's the good news. And that's why, Almighty God, your word is cast, is such an appropriate hymn to sing For this coming Sunday, the sixth Sunday after Pentecost, where Matthew chapter 13 deals with the sower and the seed. I'm Tom Baker. Tomorrow on Wednesday's Law and Gospel, we will continue with our study of C.F.W. Walther's Distinctions Between Law and Gospel. And he'll give you some practical advice as to how to use the Word of God 
properly in sharing the message with others. Until then, I'm Tom Baker. God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.